Good morning, Harvest. Welcome to our online church cast this morning. We want to give you a warm, warm welcome. You are in for a treat this morning. We have one of our very amazing speakers, one of our own, Mark Hind, with us this morning, and he is going to be preaching the Word of God. Um, my advice is going to be get your Bibles, get your notebooks, because this is one that you are not going to want to miss. Um, Mark is going to be preaching about don't fear the fire and I don't know about you guys but we have been in a pretty burning fire this last year and so I'm ready and I'm excited um, to hear what God has placed on Mark's heart and um, we're just going to pray with you this morning and then I'm going to hand over to Hannah she's going to do a reading from um, the book of Daniel and um, then we're going to hand straight over to Mark so Father, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that you are with us in the fire. And so God, we pray that the words that are spoken this morning um, from Mark, that you would anoint them. Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. And Lord, we pray that this word would fall on good soil. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I will catch you guys a little bit later on. Enjoy the service. Daniel chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar's Gold Statue King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So, all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So, at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king! You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, whom, have been, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They, they refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? 
I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace and then what God will be able to rescue from my power? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes and other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisers, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men, unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the god of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no god who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. Good morning, Harvest family. About five weeks ago, it was the third anniversary of the kidnapping of Leah Sharibu. Leah's a Nigerian schoolgirl. She was 14 at the time when Boko Haram militants burst into her school and kidnapped her and over a hundred of her classmates. They were taken and uh, were held captive for about a month. And then something remarkable happened after that time. The girls were released 
just out of the blue, they arrived back in the village on trucks. And of course it was a, a jubilant reunion for so many families. But in the chaos and the melee of that reunion, they realised that there was one girl missing. And it was Leah. What had happened is that the militants had told the girls, you can go home, you're free to go, but only if you'll recite the Shahada. Deny your faith and become Muslim. And Leah watched every single one of her classmates do that and get on the trucks. But when it came to her turn, she couldn't deny Jesus. She refused to do it. And because of that decision, and I guess she knew what she was doing, she remains in captivity three years later. What an amazing decision for a 14-year-old girl to make. And it soon be her 18th birthday. There's a lot of pain to Leah's story. It's still an ongoing story. But there's something really inspiring, deeply challenging as well for me as I consider Leah's story. And it's this, and it struck me that following and remaining faithful to Jesus led Leah into a whole heap of trouble. And fire would be the word that I would use to describe it perfectly, fire. As I was praying about what I was going to share with you this morning, God very clearly gave me this word Fire. It's not what I would have chosen to preach on today, but a real sense that God wants me to speak about this. I feel compelled and hence why we read Daniel chapter 3. I guess that's the most famous story of fire in the whole Bible. These three amazing lads and there's so much encouragement from their story that we can take. And I want to take three things this morning. And the first encouragement from this story that was just read to us is this. We are not to fear the fire. We're not to fear the fire. Verse 6 of what we just read said, whoever does not worship the image will be thrown into a blazing furnace. What an absolutely horrific choice that these lads were faced with and I guess really similar to Leah's choice. Do we compromise? Do we fit in and do what everybody else is doing? Or do we face ultimate loss, fire? What do you do? What would you do? How can ending up in the fire for doing the right thing be God's will? These are all very valid questions. How can that be God's will? Well, it is. Jesus himself in John 16, 33 says, In this world you will have trouble. He says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Chapter earlier, he says, they will hate you. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. 2 Timothy 3.12, again, on a similar theme, says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How can that be right? Many of you know uh, that Sharon and I work for a ministry called Open Doors. And a few weeks ago, I had the privilege of meeting the leader of our Southeast Asia team and all the work that happens in that part of the world where there is so much persecution. And he was telling us that it's possible for Christians there to live a life that's quite settled, where there's no persecution and no trouble. It's really simple. They just need to keep themselves to themselves and not share the gospel. But he said when their evangelism causes Muslims to come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's when the trouble comes. 
to baptise a Muslim convert or to disciple a Muslim convert results in very serious consequences. For the Muslims themselves, we call them MBBs, Muslim background believers. For these MBBs, to convert to Christianity is to lose everything. It's to lose respect. It's to lose often family. They'll be rejected from their family homes. But they actually uh, have an ID card that says Muslim on it. And it's illegal. They're not allowed to have that change from Muslim to Christian. So when they become Christians, they literally lose their identity. To choose to follow Jesus costs them everything. Often costs them their lives. So, so what does the church do? Do they just ease back? Let's, let's just blend in. Let's live a quiet life. We don't want trouble, do we? None of us want trouble. None of us want fire. I just praise God that's not what's happening, by the way, in Southeast Asia. Let me tell you that the church is courageously and boldly proclaiming Christ and they're seeing growth. And yes, the fires of persecution are burning faster and further than they have ever burned in history. But in a similar way, the church is on fire, it is growing and many, many people are coming to faith. Just reminds me, the church's response to that persecution, reminds me of these three Hebrew lads, we'll come back to it in verse 18 of the chapter we read. And bear in mind, these three lads are standing before the leader of the ruling empire on earth at the time. The most powerful man on earth is stood in front of him saying, what are you doing? And they say these words to him. They say, Nebuchadnezzar, even if our God does not deliver us, we will not worship the image of gold that you've set up. In other words, no matter what it costs, we're going to worship and we're going to follow and we're going to trust only our God, the living God. Nebuchadnezzar is absolutely furious. King, no matter what you do to us, no matter what, we know we're not in your hands, we're in his hands. And no matter what the future holds, we're his. We're going to trust him. We're not going to fear the fire. I don't know what you might be facing this morning, what fire you might be facing But I really believe God is encouraging us today not to be fearful of it. Don't fear the fire, whatever it might hold. We don't know what the future holds, but we certainly know who it is that holds the future. He has got us. Let's not fear the fire. And then the second encouragement this morning from this passage is this. And this for me is just the beauty of the fire. Because it's in the fire where God comes the closest to us. It's in the fire where God comes the closest. Let's look back at verses 24 and 25. It says Nebuchadnezzar jumps to his feet and he asks, weren't there three men that we tied and threw into the fire? He says, look, I see four men walking around the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth, Looks like a son of the gods. Let me tell you, it wasn't a son of the gods. It was the son of God in the fire with him. The creator of the universe. What we call a theophany. An angelic apparition of Christ incarnate before he came as Jesus. The creator of the universe. The eternal, immovable, unshakable rock of ages. Almighty God comes to walk beside them in the fire. Wow. Wow. I was just thinking, 
just imagine if they'd compromised. Imagine if they'd, let's just pretend guys, let's just, come on, we know we don't really mean it, but let's just bow, let's just look like everybody else, we'll just conform. Can you imagine? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, I urge you in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Let me reread that last part in the Passion Translation. It says, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit. Church, we're called to be different. Do you know what the word church means? In the New Testament, in the Greek, the word is ecclesia. Do you know what that means? It means called out. A people, a group who are called out. We're called out by God. We're called out to God. And we're called out for God and his purposes on earth. We, the church, we're a called out people. We're not meant to look like the world. Paul says, be separate. Come out from among them and be separate. And these three lads, they must have been tempted to conform. They must have been tempted to just pretend and to fit in. Do what they can to avoid the fire. But imagine what they'd have missed. Imagine. I, I don't know about you, and I'm really careful when I say this. But I would honestly rather be in the fire with God than anywhere else without his presence. Some of the most precious and powerful moments in my and Sharon's life have come in the middle of seasons of fire. I was thinking back to one of them as I was preparing. Many of you know we had a very traumatic journey having children. We uh, have, after six miscarriages, losing babies uh, at different kind of stages of pregnancy and then some severe complications. We were told by several consultants that our journey was over. There was no hope. So they'd had to remove Sharon's only healthy tube. The other tube wasn't connected to her womb. And then we found out that her womb has a rare condition that can't hold a baby long enough for them to be able to intervene and save it. It was hopeless. And so we took it to God in prayer. We, we sought God. We asked godly friends, trusted friends to pray alongside us and with us. And, and then God started to speak to us through his word, through others. And then eventually, miraculously, we fell pregnant with our seventh. And everything was going great until about the 20 week mark and Sharon started to bleed. And let me tell you, every time that had happened in the previous six pregnancies, it had resulted in trauma and loss. And we were devastated this day. I remember it clearly. Uh, we were an hour away from the hospital. We, we phoned, we just got in the car and rang on the way. And, uh, we just started to ring those same friends and just said, look, will you pray? And we know we had people praying for us. And we, we got to the hospital, they put us in this room and we were waiting for the doctor. I'll never forget it. And as Sharon was on the bed, I was on a chair, we sat in this room. And all of a sudden, God came into the room. And the only way I can describe it is like it was like a blanket descending. And then just resting on both of us at exactly the same time. It's like God was so close. 
And in that moment, I can't even describe it, it was, it was like I just knew that it was okay. And I don't mean I knew that the baby was going to be okay. I didn't know what was going to happen to the baby, but I just knew that whatever happened, that God was here. And that's all I needed to know. He was close. He was with us. We were in the palm of his hand and it was going to be okay. He was still sovereign. It was an incredible moment and we had other moments that I could describe that were similar. But I've been challenged recently with this question. Somebody asked, if you had to go through all the pain again, in order to experience God come so tangibly close, would you? It took me a while to really think and to answer. And I, I put the question to Sharon too and I explained. And we both just sat and really mused. And, and after a while, both of us agreed that in spite of the tears and the trauma and the loss, the dashed hopes, the broken dreams, the trials of faith, in spite of all of that, would we swap that but not get to experience God in the way that we did over those years and in those moments when he came so close that we could touch him and almost feel his breath? Would we swap it knowing that he had us in the palm of his hand despite the pain? We both concluded and agreed that we wouldn't change a thing. God allowed us to go into that fire and God certainly came and walked with us in the fire and can I say we are who we are today in God partly because of the fire and by the way praise God we didn't lose that baby today she's a seven-year-old miracle and we thank God for her every single day is a gift but we did lose a baby after her for me that one was the hardest because I thought everything was going to be okay and I remember the moment I was away on business sharing for me it was out of the blue and I wasn't expecting it I was in public and I had to come aside into this little kind of gap round the corner on my own and just shed some tears and I just said Lord I, I don't understand I don't get it I don't know what's going on but in that moment just I said Lord I, I close my eyes I hold out my hand I take you by the hand and I trust you enough to keep following you and I trust you enough to keep worshipping you, no matter what. Some of you might be in your own fire today. Or maybe there's a season of fire and trial and trouble coming your way. And I'm not wishing that upon you, by the way. But I want to encourage you this morning. Not only do we not fear the fire. Not only do we trust God. But we know that it's in the fire that God comes and walks with us. He comes close. God is sovereign. He's got you. And no matter what happens, it's going to be okay. And then the third and final encouragement this morning from this beautiful story of these three Hebrew lads is this. That the fire refines God's plans and purposes. And it refines us. The fire refines God's plans and purposes. And it refines us. Look what happened on the other side of the fire for these three lads. Verses 29 and 30 tell us that a king was changed and you know he now acknowledges God Nebuchadnezzar the ruler you know the ruler of the, of the world as it was is, is there saying there is no God who can deliver like the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego a king is changed a nation was changed he changed the rules he changed the laws on the back of what had happened and those three lads lives were changed they were promoted it's amazing God gets all the glory it's incredible turnaround but it took a fire for all that to happen. Do you know there are some things that can't be accomplished this side of the fire? 
God will use the fire to refine his plans and his purposes. And then also he uses the fire to refine us, to purify us. I heard an amazing testimony a few weeks ago from a couple who'd been through a very similar journey, on a journey similar to ours. They'd had losses in pregnancy and they've set up an incredible ministry called Saying Goodbye. And as they were sharing the story to us in our, our team devotions, the, the girl Zoe said, she said, we weren't defined by the loss. We were refined by the loss. We weren't defined by the loss. We were refined by it. And I love that. God, the refiner, doing something deep inside of us, burning away the impurities, changing us, help us helping us to learn to trust him. Just that little bit more, changing us that little bit more from glory to glory into his own image. I just want to finish by sharing a story uh, that kind of illustrates these points that we've brought out this morning. And it's from when I was in Egypt a couple of years ago. And we, we spent about five days there basically just uh, visiting people and ministries, uh, people whose lives had been uprooted or decimated by persecution. And I remember one of the leaders who, um, just one of the key leaders of the ministry, who was sharing what happened in Egypt after the revolution. He says, we've been praying for years for revival. We've been praying as a nation. We've been praying as a church, coming together faithfully, petitioning God. God, change our nation, revive our nation. And then he says, none of us were ready for what happened next. He said, churches started getting attacked. Christians started getting targeted and, and all, the, all the church was scared. And he said people started to get their passports looked at. Really, some even left. And he says, we were at that point. It's like, God, what are you doing? He says, we didn't understand. We've been praying for 10 years that God would revive our nation. What on earth was God doing? Why was he allowing this to happen? And why this fire? It wasn't what we'd prayed for. But then God started to reveal what he'd been doing, how he was refining his purposes and really answering their prayers in a way that was not how they thought they were going to be answered as a lesson for us this morning. He says and there was a three-day rampage where I think he says something like 76 churches or 85 churches, whatever it was, were destroyed within this kind of two or three-day period and the media came out the following day just in the chaos and the aftermath and they started interviewing pastors and priests, church leaders and, and our friend said that every single one of them on national television looked into the camera and said, we love them, we forgive them and we are praying for them. He says, let me tell you, you cannot begin to understand the impact of what that did. As people who are just nominal Muslims started to see the aggression and the attacks on the church and then the response of love and forgiveness from the people of God. And he says we're estimating that potentially hundreds of thousands of people over the last few years have come to know Jesus because of the fire. We had the privilege of, while we were there, visiting a church that's baptised 6,000 Muslims since the revolution. He says Christians started coming together to pray and unite like never before. They began seeing fruit that they couldn't have dreamt of seeing the other side of the fire. The story culminated on the very final day when we were about to leave and we, we were saying goodbye to these leaders and, and we asked this particular leader, how can we pray for you when we go home? His response was not what we we're expecting. He said this, he said, please don't pray for the persecution to stop. 
tell the church in the UK, do not pray for the persecution in Egypt to stop. He said, gold is being produced in Egypt. Sharon and I were both together on the trip. When we came home, she said she didn't know how to pray for three months. Because your natural go-to prayer is, God, stop the persecution. Just this realisation that God was producing in them something of eternal worth that wasn't possible without fire. And our dear brother realised and recognised it. I wonder this morning, what is the gold that God is wanting to produce in us? Are we willing to trust him? To say, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know it's going to be okay. I know you've got it and I trust you. Are we willing to follow him no matter where he leads, no matter the cost? This morning, let's not fear the fire because it's where God wants to come and walk with us. He wants to refine his plans and his purposes in and through our lives and he wants to refine us. Amen. I'm going to hand back in a moment to, uh, to Robin, but if you just want to linger this morning in God's presence and just worshipfully reflect on this, what we've heard, then I'm going to post a song. I'll ask Robin to post a song just down below in the comments. It's called Refiner by Maverick City. I pray that it will be a blessing to you and uh, I hope that you all have a great week and uh, let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. God bless you. See you soon. Wow, what a word, Mark. Thank you so much. We pray that that word has encouraged you. I know that that has encouraged me massively um, this morning. So we pray that that is an, an encouraging word to you this morning. And we pray that that word would take root in your life. If you want to know more about who we are as a church, um, there is our website at the bottom of this screen. And you can contact us there. Listen, if you want us to pray with you, if you want us to, if you want to know more about who we are as a church, who this Jesus is that we talk about, then please do get in touch with us via our website and we will be so happy to begin this journey with you or, or, or to stand with you in prayer. Um, Harvest, we love you, we miss you and we pray that someday soon that we will be back in the house together worshipping Jesus. Have a great week and we will see you very soon. God bless.